As you guys know, at least most of you, if you're not visiting this morning, we're in our third message on on marriage today. We've kind of been doing a, this series on marriage, and uh, we asked in the first message, "What is marriage?" And I, I wonder if you know. I was thinking about that question, and I was thinking, I wonder if anyone could answer that question after the message in the first week, and. Uh, then I had to go look it up myself. What did I define marriage as in the in those messages? Um, we saw though that the the key verse and really the the biblical definition of marriage comes from Genesis two twenty four. That verse is the summary of marriage after the very first marriage, where Moses summarizes what happened with Adam and Eve when God brought them together and made them one flesh. And Moses took what happened with Adam and Eve and he, he said that this, what had just happened, is intended to be the pattern for all marriages. And he laid it out as God's intent, God's pattern for the future generations. And again, that's Genesis 2.24 where Moses says, by the Spirit of the Lord, therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage involves leaving one family relationship with the parents to form a a new family relationship of a husband and a wife. And this involves a commitment to one another, a covenant commitment to each other. And when this leaving and cleaving happens, God joins the married couple together in a one flesh union. The two become one. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so Genesis 2.24, that's a, a biblical definition of marriage. One man, one woman, leaving the their families to form a new primary relationship with each other and this new relationship becomes the the primary relationships all other relationships are secondary to that one relationship and that involves a a commitment of faithfulness to each other they promise to hold fast to one another until death do them part and then last time we saw that this This marriage that God designed was designed to picture another marriage, and that is the marriage of Christ and His bride, the church. Our marriages, and really all marriages, are meant to give a a visible picture of the glorious relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and the church. We, the church, have been united together with Christ. We are one with the Lord Jesus Christ. And our relationship with Him is illustrated in the marriage relationship of a husband and a wife. In this reality that our marriages, really, this reality, sorry, takes our marriages to a new level. We can glorify God in marriage by accurately portraying the relationship of Christ and the church. And the way that we do this in our marriages, the way that we shine the glory of the gospel is, is, sorry, I'm just, I'm having trouble with my notes this morning. Um, just bear with me here. The, the way to glorify God in marriage, the way to, to function 
It, the way, wow, my notes are really bad on this one line. It's funny, sometimes when I'm up here and I, I have a, a bad line and I just can't quite think of how to say it the way I want. What I, what I want to say is that we glorify marriage by functioning the way that God made us to function in marriage. Now, what do I mean by that? I, I mean, if, if you're married, God has made you one with your spouse. But you need to, to live that out now. Now you need to learn how to function as one. Right? God has made you one flesh, but now the way to glorify God in our marriage is by actually functioning in our day-to-day lives as one and no longer as two. One marriage book that I like defines marriage this way. He says, quote, marriage is a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with another person until death. So a total commitment and a total sharing of the total person with another person until death. That's from Wayne Mack's book, Strengthening Your Marriage. He goes on to say then, quote, God's intention is that when two people get married, they should share everything. Their bodies, their possessions, their insights, their ideas, their abilities, their problems, their successes, their sufferings, their failures, etc. And again, he says, quote, husbands and wives are no more two, but one flesh. And this one flesh concept must manifest itself in practical, tangible, demonstrable ways. God does not intend it to be merely an abstract concept or an idealistic theory, but a concrete reality. Total intimacy and deep unity are part of God's blueprint for a good marriage. End quote. Now here's the thing, and really the question for us is, how can two different people, two different people with two different sets of ideas and two different sets of abilities and problems and skills and etc., how can they function as one? You know, imagine a, a machine made up of, uh, of two parts, some kind of machine that makes something and it, it's made up of, of two parts. And if those two parts aren't, aren't working together according to their design, that machine will not work, right? Or think about, uh, two oxen side by side in the old days and, and pulling a plow. And if those two oxen didn't pull together at the, at the same rate and the same speed with the same strength, they wouldn't be able to plow the field together. Or it's the same with, with horses pulling a carriage. If, if one pulled while the other stayed still, the carriage wouldn't go and one of the horses would likely be hurt. So how can a husband and a wife team far more complex than horses or machines, how can they glorify God by functioning as one? And that's what we want to look at today. How can husbands and wives function as one? And actually, we're going to look at this over the next two weeks. Because God didn't establish and design and, and then the marriage. He didn't establish and design marriage and then, and then leave us to our own ideas or our own resources and how to function in it. God has given clear instructions on how husbands and wives are meant to work together. And these instructions on how to function together as one, we typically call these roles in marriage. We call these roles. The husband and the wife are each called to serve in different ways in the marriage. 
And each one is called to fulfill a unique role assigned by God to ensure that they operate effectively together as one. And when one or both step out of their role, that's where disharmony happens in a marriage. But where both people accept and operate according to God's design, that's when you find harmony and oneness in marriage. That's when God is glorified and Christ is put on display when each person functions in the marriage according to God's Word. And today we're going to look at the first part of that. We're going to look at the wife's role. And next week, we're going to look at the husband's role. So wives, this week it's you. Next week, it's your husband's. And we're just going to talk about what is God, what is God's plan for the family. Now we're going to mostly focus on Ephesians 5, 22 to 24 today. Next week, we're going to look at Ephesians 5, I think it's 25 to 31, 32. And, and we're going to look at, there's a lot of verses for the husband, very few for, for what God tells the wife to do. But I want to begin this morning by reading a number of texts so that you can see that it's not just one passage that teaches this, but it's really a, a number of passages throughout the New Testament. Now, I, I don't know if you want to turn with me, if you just want to listen, it's up to you. But the first one is Colossians 3 and verse 18. So let's, let's go to Colossians 3.18. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Let's flip over then to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2 and verse 3 says, Older women... Likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train the young woman. Now we'll just stop there for a moment. There's these older women here and they're to, to teach, they're to teach good things, they're to teach what is good and they're to do that in order or so that they might train the young women. And what are they to train the young women to do? Look at it as we continue. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the Word of God may not be reviled. That's a great passage. Now let's go over past Hebrews and go to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter three starts off and says, likewise, wives. Now we just want to even stop there and just for a moment and notice that word there, likewise. And so we would ask ourselves then, well, like what? Like, like what? Like who? And we go back and we see that Peter was just talking about suffering unjustly. In verse 18 of chapter two, Peter spoke of spoke to servants and they were to be subject to their masters with all respect. 
Even to unjust masters, they were to be subject to them. Look at verse 19. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Verse 20, second, first Peter 2.20. For what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now Peter goes on then from there to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he suffered, giving us an example to follow. Look at verse 22. He, that is Christ, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." And so when Peter says, likewise wives, in the very next verse, he, he means that wives should submit to their husbands like servants should submit to their masters. And in doing so, both servants and wives are following the example laid out for them by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so likewise wives, like Christ, like even like I just told these servants, likewise, be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Let not your adorning be external with the braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious." For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And in all these texts, we see that wives are called to submit to husbands. They're, they're called to submit to their husbands. And this is to be done out of concern towards the Lord. You see, su- submission to a husband is meant to be done in really in submission to the Lord. It should be an act of worship for the Lord. And so let's go then to our, our primary text this morning, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, verse 22, starting in verse 22, says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I called the the message this morning the the Spirit-filled wife. And you might ask, well, why would you call it the Spirit-filled wife? At first glance, it doesn't appear that this verse says anything about the Holy Spirit. 
But if you were here last week, you, you might remember that we looked at the context in Ephesians chapter 5. This section really begins in verse 15 of chapter 5, where Paul tells Christians that, that they're to walk wisely. They should make the, the best use of their time in verse 16. And then in verse 17, he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so Christians who are careful about how they live in this life need to understand the will of the Lord, and they need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Now what does that look like? Well, if you look at verses 19 and following, it shows the results of being filled with the Spirit. It says in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so the Spirit-filled life isn't some kind of a, a mystical experience. It's a life of worship, thanksgiving, and really submission to God. The Spirit-filled life is a humble life of submission to one another. And then Paul, from there, lays out the proper spheres of submission. And this is called, uh, theologians call this the household code. How we should live in our households. How we should submit to one another. And it says, wives to husbands, children then to parents, and servants to masters. And so again, the Spirit-filled life doesn't necessarily do some great thing. A Spirit-filled person isn't going to do some amazing thing necessarily, some great task in the world. They're going to instead be Christ-like in their relationships at home and at work and wherever they are, right? Can you see that? It's just, it's just the, the, the Spirit-filled life works itself out in the, the everyday life of, of the world. In our home relationships, in our relationships at work, and in our relationships with our families and children. And so worship, thankfulness, and submission in the proper spheres, that's God's will for each and every believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so let's look then at, at Paul's vision for the Spirit-filled wife. And I want to kind of look at our text first at, uh, according to what it says to the wives, and then second, we'll see what it says about Christ and the church. But before we get into this, let, let me just give you a few reasons why you should listen today, because I, I recognize that there's a lot of people that might be going, okay, good, I'm not a wife, I can just check out. I can think about work or I can think about whatever I got to do this week. Um, I just, I want to give you some reasons why you should listen and, and two reasons why this is really important for, for each and every one of us, especially if you're not a wife. At least half of you will, will never be a wife. And so here's two reasons why you should listen to this. First, every Christian is called to submit to some authority in one sphere or another of our life. If you're an employee, you're to submit to your employer. If you're a child, you're to submit to your parents. If you're a citizen, you're to submit to the government. If you belong to the church, you're called to submit to your elders. And if you're a Christian, you are called to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. And so each and every one of us is to submit in one sphere or another. 
And if you're not a, a wife, you can think about your submission in another sphere of your life. And second, this theme of how a wife should relate to her husband actually points us to the church and how it, how we the church should submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 32 of Ephesians 5 here where in our chapter, the end of the chapter, Paul says, this is a profound mystery and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And of course, the, the mystery that he's talking about there is this marriage relationship. It's a, it's a something that refers to Christ and the church. And so what God says about marriage, he says about Christ and the church. And that applies to each and every one of us, regardless of our gender, marital status, or position. So even if you're not a Christian here today, this message is for you because it's going to introduce you to Jesus as the leader and the Savior of the church. And you are invited to come to this glorious Savior and to take Him as your head of, uh, the head of your life even today. And so let's get into this then. Number one, we see the extensive exhortation. The extensive exhortation. Now, an exhortation is a type of a command. And it's a, a command with urgency or it's an, an emphasized command. And so I called this the extensive exhortation. And the first thing I want you to notice about our text in verse 22 is that this is a command. It says their wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so this is a command, and it's a command without qualifications. In other words, it doesn't say, wives, be subject to your own husbands if they are worthy of your submission. It doesn't say, wives, be subject to your husbands if they're leading you in the direction that you want to go. It doesn't say, wives, be subject to your husbands if you feel like being subject to your husbands. It's a, a direct command to each and every wife. Now, this command isn't just some kind of like a, an ideal. You know, sometimes we can think of a command like this as, as kind of like a, a perfect ideal to strive for. And it is a, a, a perfect ideal that we should strive for, but, it, but it's more than that. You, you know, once I, I spoke with a husband who, who kind of saw, we were talking about loving his wife and the God's command to love his wife. And I, I was speaking to this husband and, and he kind of thought of that command to love his wife as like a high ideal, something that, that, you know, on, on a, on kind of like a spectrum of like good to, to best or like worst to best. Loving his wife was kind of high on the spectrum of what he should do, but not, not really as a command. He didn't think of it as a command. And, and what happened because of that was that when he failed to love his wife in some kind of a way, when he didn't love his wife, he never really thought of it as a sin. He just thought of it as failing to meet a perfect ideal that he could never really achieve anyways. You just kind of see where I'm going with this. And so he, when he failed to love his wife, he, he thought, well, you know, it's not really a sin. It's just a, a failure to meet a standard. Now, as we kind of go back to wives, I, I don't know how to say it any more clearly than, than this, ladies. Wives, if you're not subject to your husbands, you're in sin. Now, 
We're going to talk to the husbands and what, what we're called to do as husbands next week. And so this really works both ways. But if, if you're not obeying this commandment, you're sinning. You're, you're breaking God's commandment. You're disobeying and grieving the Holy Spirit. What is laid out here is not an optional thing. It's not merely an ideal. It's not like a, a wisdom statement or, or something that would be just prudent, that would be, you know, ideally you would do this. It would be prudent to do this. This is a commandment that God gives to women. And as with all of God's commandments, failure to heed it is sin. And it's even, sin is rebellion against God. And so it's important then to understand what this commandment actually means. Because I think sometimes we have a misunderstanding of what submission actually means. And so I want to tell you what submission is and what it is not. And so first, what it is, it says their wives submit to your own husbands. Now the word submit isn't in the original. It, it actually um, just says literally wives to your own husbands. And the idea of Submitting comes from verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so what does it mean then to submit? The word originally and and literally meant to order oneself under a leader, to order oneself under a leader. One commentator said this, quote, it has to do with the subordination of someone in an ordered array to another who is above the first. That is, in authority over that person. At the heart of this submission is the notion of order. God has established certain leadership and authority roles in the family, and submission is a humble recognition of that divine ordering, end quote. And so there's this idea of submitting to and being in an orderly array underneath somebody who's been put in authority. And so each wife is to be subject to her own husband and not to all men in general. Notice that it says be subject to your own husbands. For a wife to be subject to her husband means that she voluntarily, that's important word, that she voluntarily and willingly comes under his leadership. A submissive wife is one who sees herself as part of her husband's team. She puts all of her talents and her abilities, resources, and energy at the disposal of her husband's leadership. Submission means that the wife brings all of her abilities under the management of her husband for his good and for the good of the family. And this kind of submission involves not only the wife's actions, but also her attitudes. A wife can't, can't properly, properly be said to be submissive if she does so begrudgingly. We haven't really obeyed anything that the Lord commands us to do if we don't do it from a joyful and, and, and thankful heart. So when the Lord tells us to do something, we're, we're to do it joyfully from our heart. And in the same way, a wife hasn't truly submitted to her husband if she hasn't done so in the sincerity of her heart. Now, let me illustrate this with an example from the workplace. Let, let's pretend, let's pretend you don't like a particular direction or, or decision that your boss makes. I, I think it's easier to kind of think about it in the, in the workplace world. So you don't like a particular decision that your boss ha, has kind of laid out. 
And I think in, in, a, in an ideal workplace that you should be free to speak with your boss about your concern. And you might want to understand the rationale for the decision that he makes or, or you might want to give some input or, or feedback about that decision that the company's decided to make. And a submissive person is one who's going to recognize that the owner is the one who's going to have to make the final decision. And as long as that decision isn't sinful, they would continue to support and follow and serve and work for that company. A submissive person would say something like, I'm going to do all that I can to understand why you believe that, that option A is better than option B. But even if I can't understand why A is better than B or why you're going to do A and not B, even if I don't quite see it your way, I want you to know that I'm still going to use my talents, my abilities, my resources, and my energy to serve this company. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to follow your lead knowing that God has given you the responsibility to make the final decision and that He has given me the responsibility to serve under your leadership. Now, to kind of give you the other side of that, an unsubmissive person would say something like this, I don't agree with that direction or that decision and therefore I'm frustrated, therefore I am upset, and I'm going to drag my heels on this one. I'm going to make this as difficult for you as I possibly can. <coughs> you know, or something like, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll do what you say. After all, someone does have to make the final decision. I, I recognize that. I'll do what you say, but I'm not happy about it. And I'm going to continue to hold this against you. And I'll withdraw my service, maybe as a form of punishment. And so you can kind of see how, how attitude plays into this as well as actions. Attitude is so important. A wife has not really ordered herself under her husband's leadership if she hasn't done so willingly from the heart. Now, as we kind of think about this a little bit, we, there, there is some differences between the relationship between an employee and an em- employer, right? And a slave servant. It, the, the relationship between a husband and wife is different. For example, masters aren't called to love their wives as Christ loved the church, right? We're going to see that next time. This is a, a mutual thing. But w- when we talk about soldiers or employees, the, the idea is that, that they're to come under the authority of their commanding officer and they're expected to obey the commanding officer's orders and execute his commands. And if they don't do so, they will be disciplined for that. But that is not the way that God has set up the husband-wife relationship. The husband-wife relationship, this submission is to be a voluntary submission. And even the, the way that the verb is designed in Greek, this is, it shows that this is something that, that the wife herself does. She submits herself. It's to be a voluntary and willing thing. And so husbands should never try to force their wives to be submissive. In fact, I would usually tell husbands, don't even worry about that at all. Just be concerned about what God tells you, and we'll talk about that again next week. Just focus on loving your wives as Christ loved the church and allow the Lord to work in your wife. Now let's talk about then what submission is not. Submission does not mean that the wife is going to give up her thoughts and opinions. Submission does not mean that a wife is to mindlessly acquiesce to everything her husband says. 
You can see that especially in 1 Peter chapter 3, which we read earlier. In that text, the, the husband isn't even a believer. So the husband doesn't even believe. She believes, but he doesn't. The wife doesn't submit to her husband's unbelief. She made up her own mind on the most important decision of following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so submission doesn't mean that the, the wife just kind of follows whatever her husband says. The submission does not mean that the wife never opens her mouth or never has an opinion or that, that she allows her skills and abilities to lie dormant. In the excellent wife that we see in Proverbs 31, we see that this lady is a, a gifted and talented, talented lady and she used her skills and abilities in remarkable ways to serve the family, to benefit her family. She was involved in the day-to-day decisions and management of the household. And whatever she did, she did under the leadership, oversight, and direction of her husband. And so submission also does not mean that a wife is inferior to her husband in any way. Men and women, as we've seen already in this series, have been created equal by God. They were both created in the image and likeness of God. And so there's an equality of persons, but we were created to fulfill different roles. Man was created first to be the leader and head of the family. Woman was made from the man to be a helper suitable to him. And so when a husband leads and a wife submits, we have two people created equal by God, fulfilling the God-given roles for which they were created. And the converse is also true. When a husband fails to lead or a, a wife resists that leadership, one or both of the people are working against the purpose for which God created them. So let's look back at our verse, verse 22. It says there again, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Now, as to the Lord does not mean that a a woman is to submit to her husband in the exact same way that she submits to Christ. It doesn't mean that, that she's to submit to her husband to the same degree that she submits to Christ. The idea here is that that she's to view submission to her husband as submission to the Lord. And I think this is really important, ladies. I I think this is a, a key thing for you to grasp. You can't do this. You can't submit to your husband unless you set your sights above your husband to the Lord himself. He is the one who created you for this role He is the one who has sovereignly given you the husband that you have. He is the one who commands you to submit to his leadership. And so when you submit to your husband, you submit to the Lord. You submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when you try to control or manipulate or rule or domineer or lead, you are resisting not only your husband, but also your Lord. In other words, if you are unsubmissive to your husband, you're being unsubmissive to the Lord. And so let me say it this way. If if your relationship with your husband is not good in this area, your relationship with the Lord is not good because your husband's leadership is really an extension of the Lord's leadership over you. Now the, the reason for this command is given in verse 23. It says, For... The husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he is, 
is himself its savior. Christ's headship over the church is like the husband's headship in the family. Christ is the head of the church. He is the leader and we follow him, right? We, we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave Christ to be the head of the church and he gave husbands to be head of the family. And this means husbands, you are responsible for your wife and your family. You are your wife's leader and you are your wife's protector. You know, somebody has to lead if a family's going to work together as one. And God has given that responsibility to the husband. Now, I just want to say a little bit then about submission, just in general. Submission, I think, is a, a difficult thing. It can be a difficult thing. There, there's, there's something sinful in us that we want to be in control and we want to lead. We don't like to follow other people's directions. And I, I guess the reason for that is, is really fundamentally pride. Pride is thinking more highly of oneself than is true. And so when you think highly of yourself, you want to be the one giving the commands because you think you know what should happen. Right? The, the world's view of leadership is that leadership is the highest position because leaders get to be in control and they get the benefits and perks of that control. But the Lord's view of leadership is that leadership is really the lowest position because leaders are called to serve everyone that they lead for their benefit. The responsibilities and the accountability of leadership in the Christian life is huge. Whether it's a, whether you're a husband or a father or a boss or you're an elder in a church, responsibility for leadership is huge. Now the person called to submit then doesn't have the same weightiness of responsibility, right? If, if I am just to submit to my boss, it's not really up to me ultimately to make that decision and, and I can just relax a little bit and, and let my boss bear that responsibility. The, the person who's called to submit, their responsibility is simply to do their best as to the Lord and trust the Lord to work through the leader. Submission then, as difficult as it, as it might be at times, is actually less weighty because your responsibility ends with your submission while those who are called to submit are, those who are, who you are called to submit to are responsible for everything else. I don't know if you could follow that, but when you are the one who's submitting, your responsibility just ends at, at submitting. And that's a wonderful thing. The person above you that you submit to, they bear that responsibility and you can just leave that with the Lord and with them. I like to think of submission then kind of like a, an umbrella of protection over, over our heads. And when you, when you stick your head out of the umbrella, that's when you're likely to get wet. But if you're under that umbrella, you are under the protection and that's one of the reasons why in the Christian life in general, we should never try to exalt ourselves into a position of leadership because it's dangerous to take on responsibility that the Lord hasn't equipped you for and, and, and given you the responsibility of. And so, wives, today I would just encourage you to bask under your husband's umbrella. Don't try to take that umbrella out of his hands. God made husbands to be the head and therefore... Wives are to submit to their husbands. Now, notice in verse 24 then the, 
extent of this submission. Verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In everything there means that there's no area in which the wife is not to submit to her husband. Now, of course, the exception to this, and there is an exception, is that submission is always to God first. We always submit to God first. We never submit to earthly authority when they ask us to sin or when they ask us to violate our conscience. And in such a case, if a husband ever asks the wife to sin or asks her to violate her conscience, the wife should calmly and graciously tell her husband that although she appreciates his leadership, she cannot follow his leadership over God's commands. But in everything means that even in areas the wife normally takes care of, the wife is to submit to her husband. Now, I had a seminary professor who who's kind of put it like this. He said that his wife was the, the vice president of social engagements and planning. Now, he said, I'm the president, but she's the vice president of social engagements and planning, and she kind of takes care of all of that under my very limited kind of oversight and leadership. And really, that just meant she did everything, but she would check in with him from time to time on, you know, should we do this event or not? And so how does this work in the day-to-day operations of the home? Well, the husband is responsible for everything, But it doesn't mean that the husband has to do everything or that he has to make every decision. The the husband can and I would say should delegate many things to his wife. Husbands, and, and you know this, husbands, your wives are way more gifted than you in a lot of areas of, of your life. And it's a wonderful thing if, if, if you can delegate that to them and, and allow them to serve and use their gifts and their talents and their abilities in those areas. And, and you should, you should kind of let them know the, the extent to which you, you would love them to handle this or that situation. But ultimately, as the husband, you need to know that you are ultimately responsible for everything that happens in your home. The excellent wife again in Proverbs 31, she diligently worked for the good of her household and her husband, but she did so under his authority. And godly wife, a a godly wife has ideas and desires and talents and gifts and abilities, and she uses them under the leadership of her husband for the glory of God. Now, I just wanted to kind of say something about this too. Sometimes, ladies, it might seem like, or maybe, I don't know, I don't want to put thoughts in your mind, but it might seem like at times, like if you actually carry this thing out, if you actually submit to your husband in everything, that you will not be heard, right? I don't know if you've ever thought that or not, but but let me just say that just from a, a husbandly experience, if if you... Or I just think it's much better if you entrust your husbands to God and pray to the Lord to watch over your husband. And I think if you do your part, it's a fearful thing to a godly husband to realize that your his wife is submitting and it's his responsibility and God is the one that's going to deal with me if I am not leading us rightly. And so I think, wives, I think it, you will have much more influence if you actually follow God's commandments. Not that we should follow God's commandments because it practically works, but I think you will find that your husband might even tremble and that God can 
more than take care of your husband if you follow his lead. So, and doing that really, really just what you do when you submit is you're just entrusting your husband to God's working and you can trust God to work for the, the sake of your family. Well, that's the extensive exhortation. We'll go, we'll go a little more briefly now and let's look at the excellent example. The extensive exhortation to wives. Now we're going to look at the excellent example. And, and by the excellent example, I mean Christ Himself and the church. Christ is the head of the church. And because He is so wonderful, because He's so great, we, the church, we submit to Him. Ladies, your husband is not going to be as excellent as the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's just, there's just no question about that. As, as great as a husband might be, he is going to fall so far short of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But even still, your submission to your husband illustrates the willing and joyful submission that the church, that, that the church gives to Christ. Christ is the Savior of the church. He's our leader and He is our Lord. And He loved us with a great love. He loved us with a love above every other love shown. He loved us according to verse 25 of our text. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so Christ gave Himself up for His bride. The church, He, he, he laid His life down for the church. Jesus said in John fifteen thirteen, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus left the glory of perfect communion with his Father. He came to earth. He added a human nature to his divine nature. And he was born of the Virgin Mary. He endured hardship in this world as our representative. He lived a holy and a perfect life in our place. And He died on our behalf all so that He could present us to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Jesus paid the greatest price ever paid. He bore the infinite wrath of the Holy God to purify His bride. He lived and died to save us from our sins. And now we, the church, we love Him and we follow Him and we serve Him and we delight in Him. We treasure the Lord Jesus Christ and we submit to Him. We submit to His leadership. And it's not a a burden for us to submit to His leadership. It's a joy. It's a privilege. It's a delight. It's a delightful thing for us to follow His lead. And in verse 24 of our text this morning, it, it just assumes that if we belong to the church, if we have been saved and are part of this church, we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, verse 24, Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so we could ask, well, why do we submit to Christ? Well, we follow His commands in everything because we love Him. 
Verse 23 tells us that Christ is the head of our church, of the church. He is the savior of the body. And so he is our savior. And this vision of the Lord Jesus Christ is what should, what should enable a, a wife to submit to her husband in everything. When you submit to your husband, you should view it as most ultimately as submission to Christ. Your husband won't always be worthy of it, but Christ always is. And when you submit to your husband, you show the world that Christ is so glorious, that he is so great, that he is so worthy that the church joyfully submits to his leadership. And so, ladies, when you obey the extensive exhortation, you put the excellent example of Christ on display. May we as a a people, as a church, may we tell the truth about the excellency of Christ by the way that we submit to His headship. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for these commandments that, that You have given, that You have given to wives and really by extension to each one of us. We thank You for the privilege that it is to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You again that You designed marriage to, to show this picture And we pray that our marriages would truly show the picture of Christ in the church. Pray for all the ladies here, all the wives with us today, that, that you would help them to submit to their husbands. Pray that you would forgive where they have fallen short, that you would enable and empower them to, to go on and that they would see it as a, a joy, as an opportunity to glorify you. Lord, we thank you that you've designed this, that, that our oneness in marriage shows your glory and we just pray that you would help us to be one pray too for the husbands as we talk next week that you would help us to love our wives as christ loved the church and to be good leaders and godly leaders for our families we thank you for all of these things and we pray now that as we continue in worship that you would be glorified we pray in jesus name amen